Paul, after 11 chapters of theology, gives us how to live in light of God's mercies. In Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, basically what Paul said there was to present our whole life to God as living sacrifice and to be transformed by the renewal of our mind to discern the good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. So give your whole life to God do his will. And, and he's been listing out some bullet points of what that looks like. So we're trying to unpack that. And today we're looking at a couple verses. Um, amazing how they fit together, or maybe it doesn't feel like they fit together. Verses 13 and 14 of Romans chapter 12. What that says is contribute to the needs of the saints. Seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. So that's amazing. We like um, giving to the needs of the saints. That's That feels good. Hospitality feels good. Persecution doesn't. And he just puts them right together and says, be about contributing to the needs, showing hospitality, and, and blessing persecutors. So that's the normal Christian life. So we'll start with contributing to the needs of the saints. The word for contribute is a word that means to share. And with a sense of partnership with someone. So in Acts chapter 2, verses 44 to 45, we see what happens as soon as the church is birthed. This is what, this is what they did. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And that word in common is the same root word as uh, what contrib- contribute or share. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Paul said a similar thing in Acts chapter 4. He said that all who believed um, there was not a needy person among them, for people were selling houses and lands and giving the proceeds to the apostles to distribute to any who were in need. Then uh, in another section of Scripture, he talks about churches in Macedonia. And said the churches in Macedonia were really poor, but they were eager to contribute to the needs of the saints. Paul says that they were begging us earnestly for the favor or the grace of taking part in the relief of the saints. So they begged for the favor of taking part, that same same word, shared, contribute to the needs of the saints. Now, they could have said, you know, we'd love to help, but we're really poor. So once we win the lottery, maybe we'll think of helping. But they, they didn't. They were eager to help for the needs of the saints. As the church is the family of God, we are to take care of one another, to meet one another's needs. How do we know what people's needs are? Well, I'm going to share with you a secret. It's kind of shocking, really. But here's the deal. We must be involved in one another's lives enough to know what their needs are. Yeah, really. And it's community groups are a natural place for this to happen, but uh, beyond that, we just need to know one another, know what know what one another's needs are. What kinds of needs might those in our church family have? Of course, there may be monetary needs. We all probably find we're short on money. Uh, but there can be unanticipated emergency expenses like medical, home repairs, car repairs, or you just got laid off your job. Or a family may barely have enough after paying rent to afford groceries 
or a person or a family may be struggling to care for an elderly or disabled relative. So such needs may best be met through financial help. Uh, we have a compassion fund that meets emergency needs. Or they may best be met by physical help, providing groceries, work teams, sharing repair skills, sharing connections you have. So great example for us. Uh, thank you, church body, for helping out the Fiscums. You're, you're already there. You're doing this verse. So it's fantastic. Sometimes helping with ongoing financial needs involves providing financial counsel. Again, we need to know one another to know how best to help people. So what do they need? What does this person need to be helped with what they're dealing with in life? Of course, physical and financial struggles aren't the only kinds of needs God's people have. Often their needs are relational. They need someone to share their burdens with them. They may be grieving the death of a loved one or a broken family relationship or loneliness or a rebellious child. They need someone to listen to them and pray with them. They just need to have coffee, come over for a meal and, and unload, share their burdens. So here's a need. We need to know who, what we're missing. Who has needs in the body that, we're, that, that we don't know about? We feel like we know what's going on because we're a small church, but we don't want to presume that. So particularly as we come into the Christmas season, we invite you to uh, share with your church family, so elders or staff members, is there a family or a person that you know of that could use extra special blessings this, this Christmas season? Whatever that means. Um, so your community groups may already be helping. You may already be helping some people who with hard times, but we want to make sure we're not missing any opportunity to help those in the body. So let us know how we could give a special blessing, special encouragement to some folks this Christmas season. Maybe the, the people you're helping is more than you can handle and you just need some help helping them or you think it would be good for someone others to get involved. Whatever the situation is, let us know. Second thing Paul says is seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. Seek to show is a word that means uh, to pursue, to be really eager to do something. So the exhortation here is, is not just to be hospitable when, when a need is presented, but to uh, take the initiative or to be eager to provide hospitality. The word translated hospitality means uh, love of strangers. Love of strangers. So it means to receive a stranger, someone who's not necessarily a family member or a close friend, as a guest. Showing hospitality to strangers was especially necessary in Paul's day because there were no hotels to speak of and Christians who traveled would not be able to pay Airbnb for their own lodging. Hospitality is still super value, high valued in, in the Middle East as well as in many Asian countries. When, when I was in Morocco, the group I was with was invited into a shop owner's home, and they spread, laid out a huge meal for us. They didn't know us and, from anybody, and they couldn't even speak our language, but they just invited us into their home. And I've experienced uh, that kind of hospitality in India as well, so very um, hospitable. And Matt and Emily, who were in Italy, 
were shown warm and engaging, engorging hospitality, right? They're still recovering from that. And they even said, you can, you can take a nap because they, they stuffed them so full of food. Pursuing hospitality as a part of our life together as a church is a great way to grow in knowing and enjoying one another. Uh, sharing food and fellowship with one another in our homes opens the doors naturally for ministering to one another, for caring for one another. Many of my favorite memories of being a part of this church and prior churches is just being in people's homes and sharing meals with them and sharing fellowship. So hospitality is a good thing. Where disciples of Jesus have been multiplying the most in places like China and India and parts of the Middle East, they have been meeting in homes. I'm not saying that they're, they're multiplying rapidly just because they're meeting in homes. But it's evident that God is using house church movements to grow Christ's church in areas where it is hazardous to meet in in large public gatherings. So in these settings, hospitality is essential for the existence and growth of the church. And it helps us in America as well, truth be known. Home settings are great for community groups. Thanks to all who host community groups. Uh, we can and do practice hospitality here in this building, so this building is not quite as homey and uh, intimate setting as, as and personal as a home setting, but for larger fellowship gatherings, we can still exercise hospitality with good food, thoughtful settings, and joyful service. So thanks to Susan Higginson and the crew that sets up the food out there for you, uh, fruit and pastries. Lately, this, we've had a lot of pastries, and so we're trying to upgrade on the fruit, but... but Nobody's been complaining, so you're all pastry lovers. In ways big and small, let's keep pursuing hospitality. So that naturally leads to talk about persecution. How did we get there? If, if you don't like the food, I guess you persecute the person. To be persecuted is to be oppressed, to be harassed, or afflicted by others for who or what you are or for what you believe. The persecution may range from being relatively minor, mocking, sneering. Oh, you're one of those religious types. You're like holier than thou. All the way to being disowned by your family, physically abused by the majority group, imprisoned or killed. Some current examples of of more what we consider in the West extreme persecution, but is really fairly normal throughout history in many parts of the world. Uh, One example is Iranian-American pastor Saeed Abedini. He's been imprisoned in Iran for over three years. His family, his uh, wife and two young children live in Idaho. And he's suffering greatly because of lack of medical care and, and many beatings. So he's in a really super hard place. Iraqi Christians have been driven from their homes in massive numbers by ISIS. If you don't know what ISIS is, it stands for the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria. And they're trying to um, just grab grab lands for the sake of, of Islam. The killings and attacks have been unspeakably brutal and savage. Syrian believers have also been persecuted by ISIS. Homes destroyed, driven away. There's uh, also one named 
Asiya Bibi. She's mother of five. She's been on death row in Pakistan since the summer of 2009 for presumably, allegedly insulting the Prophet Muhammad. And in Nigeria, Boko Haram, which is a terrorist group related to ISIS, has kidnapped 276 Christian schoolgirls as well as continuing attacks on churches. Their leader said this, I enjoy killing whoever God wants me to kill the way I enjoy killing chickens and, and sheep. These are our brothers and sisters in Christ. And at the very least, and they do value this, we can pray for them. And we're going to do that today. Through ministries like Open Doors and Voice of the Martyrs, you can do more than pray. And there's go to those websites and they can facilitate other ways you can help out. Even though the possibility of more overt persecution of Christian Christians looms over us with the ever-increasing freefall into rejection of biblical morality in our country. By God's grace, we're not yet experiencing the kinds of persecution that is happening in Asia, the Middle East, and parts of Africa. But as Paul wrote to Timothy in 2 Timothy 3.12, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. So what he's saying is sooner or later, if you're living godly in Christ Jesus, you're going to take heed. If you go into a Mormon temple and start preaching to them, you're going to take some flack. Think about people who have rejected or, or mistreated you for being a Christian or for uh, honoring Christ when it went against the status quo. You may or may not have been sharing the gospel explicitly, um, but you were uh, perhaps you were obeying what you know God commands. Maybe you wouldn't do what everyone was doing at work because it was unethical. And um, now many of your coworkers scorn you, or you may have lost your job. Or you couldn't keep going along with a wrong thing that was being done, covered up, or denied in your family. So in service of Christ, you lovingly confronted it, and now everyone blames you for shaming the family. Or you tried to graciously correct a friend who was making poor choices and blaming everyone else for her problems. And so in retaliation, she has spread slander about you. So whether believers are experiencing the types of persecution that is occurring in Asia, Middle East, and Africa, or whether it is the less blatant types that we experience in the West, if we live a godly life in Christ, and if we seek to advance the gospel, we're going to experience opposition. So what are we supposed to do when we are persecuted? You said it. I didn't. Can you believe he said that? We are to bless those who persecute us. And as if we just to make sure we heard it right, bless and do not curse. What does it mean to bless anyway? It's kind of a Christian word, we use that a lot. It's a good word. Um, generally, it means to wish or to express the desire for the well-being of another, to give a gift for the well-being of another. Uh, often in the Bible, it means to ask that God grant or bestow his favor on someone. To ask that God show his favor to someone. So what is what? Paul is saying is that when someone persecutes you, you're not only to not retaliate, 
you're to actually desire to want good things for them. That's not a natural response. Try it sometimes. You are to seek that God would bless them. And, and the cry goes out, no way. And the, the answer comes back, way. Where did Paul get such insane teaching? Always a good answer. Matthew 5.44, we have Jesus saying, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And similarly in Luke chapter 6, verse 28, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And the Apostle Peter got it as well. He said in 1 Peter 3.9, Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you were called that you may obtain a blessing. Peter says that we are to bless even those who do evil to us and who verbally abuse us because we are inheriting the blessing of salvation from God, which we do not deserve, so we are to bless those who also don't deserve to be blessed. According to Jesus, um, the way we bless our haters, one way we can do that is, is to pray for them. So how do we pray for them? How do we pray for, for those who are are persecuting us, who are doing us wrong. Um, surely we could pray, hey, they're, they're such miserable characters, maybe God should put them out of their misery. Wrong. We can pray God would grant them the gift of repentance or turning from their sin and turning to Christ. That is the greatest blessing a person can receive, to have their eyes open to their sin and to turn from it, and to run to Jesus for mercy. We can bless them by forgiving them of their sins against us, whether they know we have forgiven them or not. North Korea is the worst persecutor of Christians. They're, they're always number one in the, the Open Doors watch list. So Open Doors has a list of the top 50 persecuting nations in the, in, of Christians. I was listening to an interview of North Korean believer who had been in prison for being part of a Bible study group even after she had escaped to China. Now, it's not comfortable to be a Christian in China, so that's how bad it is in North Korea. It's like you escape from North Korea to go to China, and there's still persecutors of Christians there. But um, North Korea pays a ransom, a a fee for for getting back their escaped uh, North Koreans from China. So she was caught, and she was um, imprisoned, and she was starved and physically abused, and her husband was killed for his faith in Christ. She endured terrible pain and witnessed many horrors. She was asked how she thought about forgiveness for, for the persecutors. She said that through Jesus, she wanted to love her enemies. She said that because God and Christ had forgiven her, she has been able to forgive them. As her life was being transformed by God's grace through the gospel, God used her to lead many of her fellow prisoners to Christ and to start several secret churches. At the early age of 11, Sam was living a pious Muslim life in the southern Philippines. He prayed at mosques on Fridays and fasted during Ramadan. Sam was the only one of his siblings sent to school where he excelled in both his classes and sports. 
He was everybody's favorite, popular and well-loved. But everything changed one afternoon. After school, Sam passed by his grandfather's house, who happened to be a Christian. He saw a maroon book with Kitab Injil, the gospel, written on the cover. He opened it and started reading. He said, I was drawn to Jesus because of his teachings were so different. These things were not taught in Islam. Before that, I only knew to repay evil with evil. So Sam committed his life to following Jesus and his teachings in the Bible. He was just a fifth grader then. Although he was the only Christian in his family, Sam's parents and siblings respected his new faith. But outside his home, among his friends, it was a different story. You are a kafir. You're an infidel. You are not my friend anymore. It was very painful for Sam to be deserted by his friends. His classmates at grade school kept a good distance from him. Some mocked him, calling him kafir, infidel. There were times during classes when kids would throw their shoes at him. They bullied him by writing slurs on his uniform, filling his bag with sand, and even punching him. One day a friend turned enemy yelled at him, You Christians are filthy. Christians are garbage. Sam cried and ran home. There were times when he was tempted to fight back, but he remembered the words of Jesus to love your enemies, to bless and not curse. In his heart, he prayed for those who bullied him and repaid them with a kind smile instead. Sam is now a young man. He continues to endure physical harassment, insults, and discrimination from friends and schoolmates for boldly telling them that he is a Christian. After Sam joined a discipleship ministry for Muslim background believers, he has become even bolder in seizing every opportunity to share his faith in Jesus. Sam knows that doing so might cost him his life someday. When I think of my friends, my heart breaks. I lost them, and though they turned out to be my enemies, I don't hate them. Instead, I pray for them that one day they will meet my Lord and Jesus and be changed. Another way you can bless those who persecute you is to continue serving Christ where your haters are trying to stop you rather than leaving. Sometimes it's appropriate and necessary to leave. Sometimes Paul avoided his persecutors. Other times he didn't. You need wisdom in leading from God. Many faithful believers are forced to flee areas where they are inevitably going to be killed or are being physically driven away, such as in Iraq and Syria. Still others stay and continue to serve, but keep a low profile, being careful not to draw attention to their ministry. But if you can stay and still be a witness for Christ without needlessly letting evil have its own way, then you might stay. Three years ago, Wako Haleki was assigned by his church in Kenya to work as a missionary among the Borina livestock herders in Tuka Argiso. Despite their nomadic existence, Wako was able to plant three churches among them. But Islamic presence in the, in, in the area is growing. Muslim missionaries from neighboring villages are determined to Islamize all Borinas. On March 30, 2011, Wako left his home for a routine visit to, to new Christian converts. In the early morning hours of March 31st, one of the three houses at his residence was set afire. 
The fire spread to the second and third house where his wife, his children lived, were, were staying, a newborn baby as well. And they were asleep. Both the first and second house burned to the ground. By the grace of God, neighbors managed to rescue Waco's family from the blaze just in time before the, the third house's roof crashed in. None of their belongings were spared. Mrs. Halecki said, I, I heard a, a distant noise, but I thought I was dreaming. The, the next thing I knew, people broke through the door and dragged me and the children from the smoke. I was shocked and speechless. Still, she was recovering from the birth of her child a week later, a, a week from a prior week. Waco says, I know the purpose of this fire was to destroy me and my family, but God intervened and saved my wife and children. God is faithful to his words. As is written in the book of Isaiah, we will not fear their threats. God is our redeemer. They thought I would leave the village, but I will not waver from calling God, from the calling God bestowed on me. I took my wife's hands. Together we stood in the midst of the ashes and gave thanks to the name of the Lord. By his grace, I will continue serving him right here in this village until the day he has helped me reach the entire village. Oh, that we could learn from our persecuted brothers and sisters. What, it, As radical as it sounds to actually bless those who persecute us, it is the way Jesus has called us to live. And it's the way the gospel spreads throughout history. The gospel is not going to make progress apart from being willing to, to suffer for Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us Christ, who suffered and died that we could live. He was persecuted for our salvation. He didn't deserve any. We deserve worse. But because of what he's done, we have life and hope in him. Father, we pray that we would learn from these examples of brothers and sisters who are willing to lay down their lives, willing to suffer persecution for the cause of the gospel. Strengthen us, Father, to be faithful to you no matter what we're facing. Help us to contribute to the needs of the saints, to show hospitality, to bless those who persecute us. In Christ we pray. Amen.